at some level. Or we'll just leave you hanging. We will, you'll have to be here to find out. <laughs> I get it, I get it. All right, 11 o'clock, we're gonna. All right, let's go ahead and find our seats. We are going to get started. You guys would talk for the rest of the time if we let you, so. But, but today is, is the day that, you know, we've all been waiting for. I mean, at least some of us have been waiting for um, for a while. So, so today is, is it's a great day as we kick off our certainty conference. Uh, I, I love it. I love this time of year. I love just, just the aspect of getting together, just a concentrated time and people from out of town and, and being able to fellowship in that capacity, and, and, and it's a great thing. Um, I do want to reiterate what Craig said earlier, just thank everyone for coming out this morning, especially those that have already made it in uh, from out of town. So thank you for, for taking your time and, and, and vacation and money and, and, and coming out this way to be with us this week. I trust the Lord is going to use it in your life. And and that's certainly been my prayer. Um, this is always a very exciting week in the life of First Baptist Church. And since we get to host this, it's an, it's an exciting week in the life of our church. And, and this year is no exception to that. But I want you to know that not only is it exciting, it's also important. Uh, I believe that God uses these highlight events in, in special ways in the, in the life of a church, in the life of our church members. So for all of our First Baptist Church members out there, I, I want you to understand that. And I want you to view it that way. I want you to be prayerful about what God is going to do in your life this week. And then I also want you to be obedient to that. So, so be here if you can. Be here if you can every night with an open heart and an open Bible. And let's see what God does. And if you can make it in the mornings, that's great. I understand that's a little bit more difficult for, for people with, with jobs and that sort of thing. But um, if, if you're able to, it would be fantastic. Well, I have the unenviable task of opening this conference up this morning. Um, and the truth is, uh, you're going to hear some really great things this week. The theme of the conference this week is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to learn a lot of, of great things. You're going to hear some great truth regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit from Sam Miles, Alan Shelby, and Jeff Bartell. So that makes my job a little bit more difficult than normal. So instead of trying to sound smart, which I'm never good at, uh, or provide a, you know, a new take or additional doctrinal material on the topic, uh, you're going to get plenty of that this week. I'm just going to be simple and practical to get us started. And listen, simple and practical is my wheelhouse. So, you know, when I line myself up with Sam and Alan and, and Jeff, let's just say I know my lane. Um, so, I'll, so I'll, stay, I'll stay there. I'm going to let those guys cover the, the, the rest of the material. 
But in our time this morning, I do want to set the stage for this week. I want to set the stage by giving you the why. And that's the, the title of my message. I, you know, I, I told you I'm simple. But I want to address why this topic is so important and therefore why we have picked it as this year's topic and the theme of the conference and why you need to be here as much as you can. And we're going to use Galatians chapter 5 as our base passage this morning uh, to help explain why you need to get everything that is going to be taught this week and, and why you need to be prayerful about God working in your life as you learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 16 through 25, a, a, a passage of Scripture that many of you, if you've been around church for, for some length of time, are familiar with. But in those verses, we are going to answer the why, why this topic is so important, why you need to be here. And we're going to answer the why by seeing the how and how the Holy Spirit operates in your life. But, but, but even before we get there, I need to lay a foundation. And I, and I need to help answer the why by showing you the who. Showing you who the Holy Spirit is in your life. Because if you don't understand the who, then you're never going to get to the how. And I know you're replaying that sentence in your mind, but just stick with me. Let me help explain it this way. Some of you in here this morning are struggling to walk in the Spirit because you don't understand who the Holy Spirit actually is. So, so let me help you. And to do that, I, I want to start by telling you who the Holy Spirit isn't and what the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Spirit isn't just a guide or an influence. You see, what you need to grasp this morning is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's who he is. And this is a key fundamental aspect, this, this is actually a doctrine, but it's a key fundamental doctrine of the Holy Spirit that, that sometimes we don't always think about. And you see it all throughout Scripture, you can see his personality through his actions, he creates, he leads, he guides, he commands, he forbids, he has knowledge, he speaks, he loves, he grieves, and the list goes on and on. Additionally, throughout the Bible, you can see him referred to by personal pronouns. For example, John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And I know that for some of you, you may not consider it that big of a deal, and you're even wondering why I'm, I'm taking the time to describe this and describe the Holy Spirit as a person. But let me assure you that it is important, and, and, and here's why. It's because when we understand the Holy Spirit as a person, it changes our interaction and relationship that we can have with him. If we think of him just in terms of a, a quote-unquote spirit in the sense of an influence or a force, well, there's no real personal relationship to be had there. But a person, we can figure that out a little easier. And listen, we, we've got to get this down because the Holy Spirit is the primary means of how God interacts with us today through relationship in the church age today. When you say, I have a relationship with God, 
Well, today, that relationship is primary, primarily facilitated through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain that. And I, and I know what you're thinking. And you're thinking, well, I, I accepted Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, of, of course you do. And you say, well, well, I have a relationship with God through his, through his word. Well, yeah, of course you do. But, but let me ask you a question. Do you know who teaches you the word and illuminates it in a way that opens your eyes to behold his beauty and majesty? It's the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, okay, but I, I have a relationship with God through prayer. Well, of course you do. But do you know who intercedes on your behalf in prayer so that those prayers actually go somewhere? It's the Holy Spirit. You see, if you remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, the Word of God is not alive in your life, and your prayers will not be heard. He's key to our relationship with the triune God today. And this hasn't always been the case. It's, you know, God has worked differently in different times and different dispensations. So I want you to think about this for a minute. In the Old Testament, the focus of relationship with God was through God the Father himself. God spoke directly. God interacted specifically. And that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ was inactive. He was not. We see him all throughout the Old Testament, usually called the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was inactive. He was not. We see him come upon many Old Testament characters, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, David, etc., etc. And, and so, but when you look at the focus of the relationship, the relationship aspect, God himself was the one that was leading that effort, building a nation and establishing a kingdom. But that nation was rebellious and idolatrous. It ended up in Gentile captivity. But God was true to his promises and sent his son Jesus as their Messiah. And all that Israel had to do was accept him and that, that kingdom that he had been planning would come to fruition with his son as the king. So when Jesus was on earth, obviously what we see in the Gospels, the primary focus of him was, was Jesus the King. The Messiah was here. And that doesn't mean that God the Father was inactive. He was not. We see him in Jesus' baptism at Mount Transfiguration when Jesus was on the cross. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit was inactive. He was not. We see him at Jesus' conception, at Jesus' baptism many other times. But again, the focal point with respect to the Trinity as it relates to this personal relationship aspect was Jesus. He was God on earth. But you know the story, Jesus was rejected by that same nation that had earlier rejected the Father. And he was crucified, but he resurrected, ascended to be with his Father, and the game changes again. And salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is now open to the Gentile world. And who does God send to take the place of Jesus on this earth? And in doing so, becomes the focal point of our relationship with him in the church age. It's the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that God the Father or that Jesus are inactive. Of course they are not. They are quite active. And of course we have a relationship with all of them because they are one. Our relationship with God the Father is through Jesus Christ. But that relationship is worked out and made alive through the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you think of the Holy Spirit as so many do today, as just this influence, this power, instead of a relational person, 
here's what happens. And, and this is why this is so important. Your thoughts, if that's how you see the Holy Spirit, he's just sort of this influencing guide. Then your thoughts will naturally be, how can I get a hold of the Holy Spirit and use it? But that's wrong. Because if you think of him in the biblical way as a person of divine majesty and glory, then your thoughts will more naturally be, and, and, and this is the question you need to be asking, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of me and use me? Not how can I get a hold of him and use him. No, how can he get a hold of me and use me? And that's where our mind needs to be, needs to be set when it comes to the importance of learning about the Holy Spirit this week? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And it also provides the foundation for what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5 this morning, dealing with how he operates in our life. Once you understand who he is, now you can better understand how he operates as a person. So let's look there together. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 16 through 25. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we're so thankful for this day and, and so much time and energy and, and planning has, has gone into that and, and gone, brought us to this point this morning. But, but Lord, we want you to take over. We, want, we don't want to do anything this week by just our own, our own flesh. That's what we're going to talk about even this morning. Lord, we want your spirit to lead. We want your spirit to be in control of us. And Lord, we want you to be glorified through it. Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning. I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will use it in our life and do the work that only he can do. Lord, I, I pray that, that you remove my flesh and your spirit speaks this morning to each and every one of us. Only he can teach us your word. And so I ask him to do that now. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for the time we have together. I'm so thankful for everybody that's here, those that have given their time to, to travel uh, especially, to, to come to, to be with us this week. And, and I pray that it's a blessing. I, I pray it's the, this week is a, is a blessing to them uh, for it, Lord. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so I've already told you. Here, we're we're going to look at why you need to be here this week, why this topic is so important, by seeing how he operates in our life. And the first reason why you need to learn all you can about the Holy Spirit is because of the fight. It's because of the fight. Look back at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, I think we can all agree that in today's age, uh, that division and fighting is raging in our world. Republicans are fighting the Democrats, and Marxists are fighting the capitalists, and vaccinated are fighting the unvaccinated, and the media is fighting the truth. <laughs> but, but can I tell you that that's a, all a distraction? Because when it comes to you personally living a life that is glorifying to God, there's only one fight that matters. The spirit versus the flesh. That's the real fight. And the others are just meant to get your mind off the real one. So just as Isaac and Ishmael were unable to get along, the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. Now, before we get too far into this, let me define something for you. When, when Paul says flesh, he's not only talking about our body. He's talking about our old man, our old nature, our old will. You see, for the most part, the, the body, our body is neutral. If the Holy Spirit controls the body, then we walk in the Spirit. But if the flesh, that old man, controls the body, then we walk in the lust of the flesh. And as you likely know, the spirit and the flesh have very different appetites. And that's what creates conflict. And listen, these appetites are illustrated all throughout the Bible. This truth is presented all the way back in Genesis, and, and, and you can see it throughout your Bible. So, for example, you, you see the animal, a sheep, in the Bible. Well, the sheep is pictured as a clean animal. That avoids the garbage of this world. In contrast to the pig, that is seen as an unclean animal that enjoys wallowing in filth. In Genesis chapter 8, after the rain had ceased and the ark had settled, Noah sent out a raven and a dove. Verses 6 through 12 of that chapter says, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him in the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark, and he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth a dove out of the ark, and the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, her mouth was, was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth a dove which returned not again unto him anymore. You see, we have a, a raven and a dove in this example. And the raven went to and fro but never entered back into the ark. Well, why was that? Well, a raven is, is, a, is, is a carrion eating bird. It just means it feeds off decaying flesh. That's how it lives. So while the raven didn't find a place to rest, it also didn't mind feeding off the carcasses that it found that hadn't survived the flood. But a dove was a clean bird that kept coming back to the ark. And when it didn't, Noah knew that he had found a clean place to settle. And therefore the waters had receded. 
And so you have pictures like this all throughout the Bible. So the raven and the pig are pictures of our flesh. They will wallow in the filthiness of this world. We read what it will do in verses 19 through 21 of Galatians 5. They feed off the flesh. That's how they live. But the sheep and the dove, they're pictures of the Spirit. They're yearning for that which is clean and holy. No wonder a struggle goes on within the life of a believer. But what, what you need to grasp this morning is that the only way to win this fight is through the Spirit. It's through walking in the Spirit. And I point out what is seemingly obvious because I believe it is only obvious in theory. Because what I see in reality is that it's evidently not obvious in practice. And here's what I mean by that. Far too many Christians, the, the battle they are fighting is not the spirit versus the flesh. Here's their battle. The flesh versus the flesh. So they understand that they have a flesh. And they understand that it's contrary to God. And they even mentally understand that, that, that they got to fight against it. But their answer is to overcome the will of the flesh by willpower of the flesh. And listen, that will never work. That will never work because it's fighting the flesh with the flesh. And ultimately, you might have some level of quote-unquote success. Maybe for a time being, you stop doing what you were doing before, for example. But as long as it's, listen, the flesh will let you act holy as long as it's in the flesh. Because it's not pleasing to God. So they that are in the flesh cannot Please, God. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8.8. 8. And so the flesh will even trick you into thinking, okay, well, yeah, you're, you're doing this. You're doing this right. If it's not of the Spirit, it's not right. Don't fall into that trap. This is the very problem that Paul discusses in Romans 7. Look at verses 15 through 19. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would not, I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And some people misunderstand this passage because, because Paul is not denying that there is victory. There certainly is victory available. He's just pointing out that we cannot win this victory in our own strength and in our own will. That's what Paul says again in Galatians 5.18. So we read verses 16 and 17 and verse 18. He says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, the only way to truly defeat your flesh is to be led of the Spirit. And this verse implies to be willingly led, not forced, because God doesn't do that. So again, the solution is not to pit your will against the flesh. The solution is to surrender your will to the Holy Spirit. And so the big question is, how do I do that? I, I want to, I, I'm trying. How do I do it? How do I surrender my will to the Holy Spirit? How do I ignore 
the desires and lust of the flesh. Well, it's simple. You're just not going to like it. Because it comes through a decision. So it's not easy, but it's simple. And it involves deciding that you are dead in Christ. That's where Paul takes this section of scripture down in verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And all throughout Paul's writings, he explains that the believer is identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Galatians 2.20 is, is, is one many of you might know. A verse says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Galatians 6.14, he said, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And I think the most prominent biblical description of this is found in Romans chapter 6. It's one of the, I believe personally, one of the most important chapters in your Bible on, on biblical living. And even understanding walking in the Spirit, even though it's not specifically mentioned. In verses 4 through 6 of Romans 6, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we, all sh we, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth, henceforth we should not serve sin. And we don't have near enough time to do this justice, but the, but the point of everything that Paul is making here in Romans 6 and in Galatians 2.20 and Galatians 6.14 and so many other verses is that if you are a Christian, Christ not only died for you, but you died with him. You died with Christ. You see, Christ died for you to remove the penalty of sin. But you died with Christ to break the power of sin. And, and, and here again, why this is so important. Because the very words of God. And you, you have to see the specificity of those words. Did you know that there is not one place in any of those verses that we read where Paul tells us to crucify ourselves? And the reason why is because we cannot do that. Only the Spirit can. And you say, well, I, I mean, there's other verses out there. I mean, I think Colossians 3.5 says for us to do something to our flesh. Okay, well, let's see. A verse says, mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so it turns out we are to mortify our flesh. But let's be a workman. And let's compare Scripture with Scripture to see exactly how we mortify those members. And it turns out that Romans 8.13 tells us, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. So I'm telling you, you cannot defeat the flesh with the flesh. 
The only way to win this fight is through the Spirit. And the truth is, according to Romans 6 and Galatians 2 and Galatians 6 and all those other verses that we didn't read, the work is already done. Your responsibility is to believe it. Believe that you, your flesh, that old man is already crucified and then decide to live accordingly. That's what Paul means when he uses the word reckon in Romans 6.11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon, believe, conclude decide, determine. So at the point we get saved, we are no longer debtors to our flesh. You see that in Romans 6, you see it in Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. We just have to accept what God says about the flesh, about our old nature, and not make it something that it's not. We're no longer its slave. You don't have to live there anymore. So we move forward in belief. And don't make provision for the flesh, Romans 13, 14, by feeding it the things that it enjoys. Listen, in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. So we should put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 3. Because the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8, 8. It is only through the Holy Spirit we can put to death the deeds that the flesh would like to do through our body. That's what we just read in Romans 8, 13. So in that sense... The Holy Spirit is not only the spirit of life, he's also the spirit of death. Because he's what helps us reckon ourselves dead unto sin. And that is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He's the only path to victory in this fight. But when you start understanding it and start walking in him and understanding, okay, I'm no longer a debtor to sin. I don't have to do this. Before you did, you had no choice. You didn't have the spirit of God inside you. Now you don't have to, and so you just, you just start putting the Bible in practice. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to make provision for the flesh. And that's not through willpower. It's using the Spirit of God because it's what the Word of God says. And so then you allow the Spirit. You don't make provision for the flesh, and you see how the Spirit begins to work in your life. And you start making progress in this front. And you start gaining victory in this fight. But this fight, when you look at and study that out, that fight in the Bible, this is it. The fight is the flesh. Like, you know, we have different enemies. We have the, the world, the devil, and our flesh. And there's different commands for each one of them. Like what, what we're told to do against those external foes is to stand or flee. When it comes to fighting, it's our flesh. We're to fight the flesh, but you have to do it through the Spirit, and then you can gain victory, and when you begin to see it in your life, and you begin walking in the Spirit in that fight, guess what comes next? And this is the second reason you got to be here this week, and you need to learn all you can about how the Holy Spirit operates, because the more you know, the better prepared you're going to be. But what comes next is the fruit. So after talking about the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21, everything your flesh wants to do and will do if left to its own devices, Paul then says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, 
there is no law. Now, as we, as we get into this, we need to understand the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. She, uh, you see, a, a, a machine in a factory works and turns out product, but it can never ma- per- manufacture fruit. It can never produce fruit. True fruit grows out of life. And that is the case of the believer. It is, it is the life of the Spirit. That's where Paul kind of ends this section of verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So when you think of works, you think of effort and labor and strain and toil. But when you think of fruit, you think of beauty. The unfolding of life, both a natural yet supernatural process. And here's the key difference between works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. Those works of the flesh are dead. Fruit is living. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? But let's contrast that with, with the fruit that Genesis 1.11 talks about. And there we learn that fruit has in its seed for still more fruit. Genesis 1.11 says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding its seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So what that means for you in this context of walking in the Spirit is that as you begin to do it, as you begin to walk in the Spirit, and you're not making provision for the flesh, and, and you're, you're gaining victory in this battle, and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life that way, the living Spirit of God begins to produce living fruit within you. And it has an exponential multiplying effect on your life. Because in, if it's fruit, in it is the seed for more. So love begets more love, and peace begets more peace. Joy begets more joy. The seeds for more fruit are within the fruit itself, and that's what glorifies God. That's what Jesus wants for us to be a conduit of fruit for him that just keeps producing. He's doing the work. It's just just the life of Christ and living the life of Christ. Fruit and more fruit and much fruit. That's what Jesus explains in John 15, verses 1 through 5. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You see in there, we see that progression. We see fruit, and then we see more fruit, and then we see much fruit. That's God's desire for your life. Because that is what brings him glory. But it must come through his spirit. The old nature cannot produce fruit. Only the new nature can do that. It's only through walking in the Spirit 
as you're alive in him through his life that this fruit is produced. And there are different types of fruit uh, in the Bible. We don't have, have time to study all that, all that out this morning. But there are different types of fruit in the Bible. But this specific fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, deals with our character that results from walking in the Spirit. This, these are our personal attributes. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are all things that we exhibit and experience in our life as we are walking in the Spirit. And so before we get too far into this, I, I, I do think it's important to differentiate a couple things. So, so first of all, what you see in the Bible is you see the gift of the Spirit. That deals with our salvation. The gift of the Spirit de deals with salvation. And you can see that obviously in Romans 6.23. But let me read Acts 11, verses 16 to 17. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And, and we see the cross-reference for us in 1 Corinthians 12 of this, being baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the, the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? So we have the gift of the Spirit. That's new life. In Jesus Christ, right? That deals with our salvation. But you need to differentiate that from the gifts, plural, of the Spirit, which have to then do with our service. So the gift of the Spirit deals with our salvation. The gifts of the Spirit deal with our service. And, and I don't have time to talk about that, but it doesn't matter. Jeff's going to talk about that in, in the morning sessions and go through the gifts of the Spirit. But you still need to differentiate that from what I call the graces of the Spirit, and this relates to our sanctification. And this is the, the fruit. These are the character qualities that we all should so richly desire, those, those nine qualities that make up the fruit of the Spirit. And I point that out because I believe in Christendom sometimes we, we overemphasize one at the, at the expense of the others. You see, all three are needed. First of all, you obviously have to start with salvation, you have to understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you have to place your faith in that finished work of Jesus on the cross. And then you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in to indwell you and live in you to help you live out this life. And as part of, of, that, of, of that process, when he comes and indwells you, he gifts you. And gives you certain gifts to be able to live out the Christian life in the way God designed for you. Through service to him. But he doesn't only do that. There's these, the graces that, that we get. These are, this is the grace of God on your life. Was as you're doing it. As, you, as you, you understand that gift. And then you start displaying the gifts. And you're working out your salvation. And living a life for him through the gifts he's been giving you. He graces you with these qualities. He gives you love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all, and, and all nine of them. And it, again, those deal with our sanctification. And again, sometimes we, we overemphasize one at the, at the cost of others. So, for example, we, have, we see gifted pastors out there who have poor character. And we excuse that because, well, they have the gift of teaching and preaching. And, and praise the Lord, God uses that, I'm sure, but we should not ignore the graces of the Spirit and the character 
of a man just because of, of a certain gifting. Because graces are the fruit, they deal with our sanctification. Because they're the result. If we're living a sanctified life, walking in the Spirit, this is what we're displaying. And that is what brings God glory. That living of a life that is that it, in, in the graces of His Spirit, walking in the Spirit, that's what brings Him glory. The bearing of that fruit. That's what John 15 goes on to tell us down in, first, in verse 8. It says, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Not that you preach good messages. That you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And listen, this ex external expression of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, in a very real sense, demonstrates the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit here on earth, at least in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit has many roles, many jobs, many ministries that we're going to talk about this week. But they can sort of be wrapped up in the life of a believer in this one statement. Bear fruit for Christ through believers in Christ, through you and me. Romans 6, verses 20 through 22 says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. You see, his goal is for us to bear fruit for Christ. And again, there's different types of fruit that you see in the Bible, and we should bear all of them. I mean, winning souls to Christ is an example of bearing fruit. And so we should do that. But we should also bear this fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit. But you have a free will. So you get to be a willing participant or a non-willing spectator in what God is doing in this world. But if you're bearing fruit for Him, you're just glorifying Him in your life. Don't you want to be a part of that? But if you do, you have to understand that it doesn't just happen automatically. Kind of like this fight with the spirit and the flesh. It doesn't, you don't win that automatically. You, you do as you, as you surrender your will to his spirit. And so for bearing fruit, this fruit of the spirit, there are some prerequisites. And the first prerequisite to bearing the fruit of the spirit is you must die. All right, so we've already talked about this point, so I'm not going to belabor it. But you have to understand how you are crucified in him and reckon yourself so. Again, that gets to walking in the spirit. So these, these overlap. So you got to die. But let me show you something Jesus said in John 12, 24. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And the image that Jesus is portraying here in this, with a, a corn of wheat or a seed, is that, and it was a picture of him, and it was a picture of us, our life in him, and it starts with that there is, there's no glory without suffering. There can be no fruitful life without death. No victory without surrender. You see, of itself, a seed is, is weak and, and useless. But when it is planted, when it dies, it can then become fruitful. What, what a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we die in him, as we reckon it so. We are now alive 
to, and, and alive to walk in newness of life in him. And then we can display that fruit and we can share it with others. What a beautiful picture of the resurrection. There's both beauty and bounty when a seed dies and fulfills its purpose. And that is true of us as well. So that's the first prerequisite. The second prerequisite is that you must abide. And we've already looked at John 15 that uses that terminology over and over and over again in that passage, to abide in him. And we saw there that, that branches do not produce fruit. Branches are just used to bear the fruit that was produced by the vine. And the same principle applies to us, and it requires us abiding in him. That's what John 15 tells us. That fruit will only bear as we abide in Christ. So you have to die, you have to abide in him. And then third, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this because we haven't talked about it yet. Third, you must yield. And, and stay with me on this one. I'm going to, I'm going to walk down a road here and, and try to progress to a certain spot. But obviously, we've been talking about it all morning. We're to walk in the Spirit. It's the command we started with in John or in Galatians uh, 5.16. It's the command we end with in Galatians 5.25. So we're to walk in the Spirit. We're to walk with God in the Spirit. And there's no mistake in that wording. Again, the very words of God are pure, every single one of them. And so it's a walk. And I say that because Scripture asks us a question in Amos 3.3. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, we also read in 1 John 5.8, speaking of the Trinity, that these three, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three agree in one. So there's absolute harmony and perfect unity in the Godhead. Because they are in complete agreement. But you know just as well as I do that there's not always perfect harmony and unity with you and God. I know that. There's not always perfect harmony and unity with me and God. And why is that? Well, Proverbs 13.10 says, Only, only, only by pride cometh contention. Okay, so, so that's a break in unity. So the answer to why we aren't always in harmony with God is easy. So we don't agree with him. We want our own way, not his way. It is pride. We're not in agreement. We contend with him because of our pride. So listen, most Christians, this is the sad reality of Laodicea today. Most Christians do not bear the fruit of the Spirit like they ought to bear, like they are purposed to bear, because they're not walking in the Spirit. And they cannot walk in the Spirit because they do not agree with the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Their thoughts and their actions do not line up with His thoughts and His directions. And so that person is not yielded to the Holy Spirit. This is a walk. And if you don't agree where you're going, you're not going to get there. And when a believer is not yielded to the Holy Spirit, he or she has disagreement with God. And you're not going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And the result is impotent lives for Christ. 
no bearing of fruit. And they may attend church. And they may celebrate on Sundays. And their Facebook may reflect God. But their life does not. And they show up, but there's no impact on others. And there's no evidence of God working in their life. And listen, you have a promise from Scripture. The Holy Spirit will lead you. You can walk in Him, but you have to give up your way and yield yourself to Him for it to happen. So no yieldedness, no walk. No yieldedness, no power. No yieldedness, no fruit. And no yieldedness, no holiness. And the word yield, it means what you think it means. It means deliver up or to give up. That's what a yield sign. So just think of a yield sign on the road. When we come to an intersection and there's a yield sign, we are to give way to the other driver. There are two interests involved, and we're to give up our right away to the other party. That other, if you have a yield sign, that other way, they have the right away. And so if someone's coming, you give up your right to go for them. It's the exact same with the Lord. We're specifically instructed in the Bible to yield to God and let him have the right of way. Romans 6.13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Do you, did you see what that verse says? We become the instruments of those things to which we yield ourselves. Instruments of righteousness or instruments of unrighteousness. So to which are you yielded? Or of which have you become an instrument? Each day believers are to yield themselves to be servants to righteousness unto holiness. That's Romans 6.19. And it's demonstrated in those nine character qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God defines as our holiness, our, our sanctification, or at least proof of it. That you're walking in the Spirit and you're displaying and bearing his fruit. And that should provide some light on verses like 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. All right, our conversation, it equals lifestyle. How you live and interact with others. So Christ tells us to be holy because he was holy. Well, how was he holy? He was God, obviously, so it starts there. But his holiness, when he lived on this earth, his holiness was displayed and demonstrated through the fruit of the Spirit. You see, those nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit were personified in Jesus. And we don't have the time, but if we did, you can do this study on your own. I could, show, I could go fruit by fruit and give you verse after verse to, how, to show you how that was personified in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And that was just the display of his holiness as he did the will and yielded to his Father. Not, not my will. Like, Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. I yield. I lay down. For yours, 
for your will. And that's how you begin to put all this together. That's how you can be holy. As you walk in the, you, you know how you're holy in the church age? You walk in the spirit. That's it. So you yield, you, you, you die, you reckon, you understand that you were crucified with Christ. So Okay, so I, I get it. So I'm not going to make provision for the flesh. I'm going to walk in his way. I'm going to abide in him. I'm gonna, how, how, do, how do you abide? You stay in his word. You stay close to him. You let the Holy Spirit teach you and you live out what you're learning. And then you yield to his way. What, God, what do you want for me? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to do it? Listen, I'll do it. That's holiness. It's walking in the spirit. Remember, I, I said no yieldedness, no holiness. No yieldedness, no fruit. But as we've seen in, in Romans 6, and according to Proverbs 12, 12, the wicked desireth the net of evil men. But listen to this last phrase. But the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. Now, the root, there's, there's good cross-references to the root of Jesse. We know that's, that's Jesus Christ. The root of the righteous. It, it has to come from the vine. Fruit has to come from the, the vine. So you have to have the right root to bear fruit. But, but for lack of a better analogy, the soil of your life has to be yieldedness. That is your role. You're not the vine. You're the branch. That is why we don't practice fruit. We bear it. See, you don't practice joy. You experience it. You don't practice meekness. You demonstrate it. So the Holy Spirit bears fruit in the lives that of, of those who are filled with the Spirit and are walking in the Spirit, and it comes through yielding. We give way to God. We give way to His will. But again, this is a walk. And again, I, ta I talked about how that wording was intentional. That means you have to walk where God is walking. Right? 1 Peter 2 talks about walking in His steps. The Bible calls that following. Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I, I do want to point out here that almost all modern Bible translations change the word followers in Ephesians 5 ones to imitators. But listen, we're to imitate no one. Imitate is the wrong word because it suggests the idea of man working to be like Christ. But the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will transform us. So the imitators are those who originated and still propagate and promote an imitation Christianity with an imitation Savior and an imitation Bible, and, and it produces imitation fruit. If we yield to and then follow God, we will have real fruit for all to see and enjoy. That's why the Holy Spirit was careful to say fruit of the Spirit rather than works of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Because in doing so, the Lord is showing the Christian the difference between the old and the new nature. And at the end of the day, again, it comes back to choices. I mean, like we talk about in discipleship, who are you going to feed the most? Cannot serve God and mammon. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. The believer may resist the Holy Spirit and choose to follow that old nature in the flesh. That's made clear in Acts 7.51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. That was a pretty powerful message by Stephen there in Acts chapter 7. But having sown to the flesh, if you live that and you resist the Holy Spirit, you'll reap corruption. Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8 tells us that for whatever we sow, we're going to reap. So it's a choice, flesh or the spirit, fruit or no fruit. And, and the truth is that every Christian 
is sort of a bipolar, so to speak, having two natures warring inside us. Because what the Holy Spirit desires, the flesh abhors, and what the flesh desires, the Spirit abhors. So if a Christian is not yielded to the will of God, he's yielded to the will of the flesh. But if he's walking in the power of the Spirit, he's not going to be controlled by the flesh. But at any moment, you have to understand that at any moment you're under the control of one or the other. Because daily we're sowing and reaping. So that's why daily we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, Ephesians 4.23. And if you follow that passage out, Paul exhorts us to do that as to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. It's a daily renewal. It's a daily fight. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that inward man needs to be renewed day by day. So who's going to have control? It's just a question. But if you want the Spirit to have control and therefore bear fruit, you need to die, abide, and yield. So let me give you something as we close out here. Let me just give you something to help remember that. Those three words give you an acronym. Die, abide, yield. It gives you the acronym DAY. And those are three things that you need to do every single day. You need to get up. You need to get with the Lord. And you need to die. You need to abide. And you need to yield. Because you want to win that fight of the flesh versus the spirit so that you can bear and display the fruit of the spirit so God can get glory. What else matters? That's why you need to come this week. You need to be here every night. If you can and you don't have to work, come in the mornings. There isn't a more important topic for us today. The more you know, the better equipped you will be. Let's give the Lord our best for his glory. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I just thank you for, for your Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us the ability to live it out in our daily life. And then give us the ability to bear the fruit which glorifies you, John 15, 8. Thank you. That we can do that. We, you, the creator, we can glorify you in our lives and how we live. But Lord, we have to do it according to your prescription. We don't get to make the rules. And Lord, you've told us how to do it. And we've got to yield ourselves to you. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I, I, I pray that if there's anyone here now that doesn't know you, that they would yield their will to you this morning. That they would understand that the Holy Spirit would do that work of convicting them of their need for a Savior. And that you did it. You did the work for them and you came down and you died on the cross for their sins. And you were buried according to the scripture and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Lord, because of that, they now have the ability to place their faith in you just by asking. And you said you'll accept them. If, 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 if that faith is real, Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here that needs to do that this morning, that your Holy Spirit will, will do that work in them to, to get them to that point. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so look forward to the week and all that we have in front of us. Please teach us all that we need. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.